If you will find Ruth chapter 4, Lord willing, we will close out this study tonight. We've been looking at God's provision in the darkest moments of our lives. And tonight, the subject matter is going to be redeeming love. We've been trying to cover about a chapter a week, so we'll try to cover chapter 4 this evening. And so again, find Ruth chapter 4. Ruth chapter 4. It says, Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, Turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, Buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and to Malon. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance." That the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephratah, and be renowned in Bethlehem, and may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the woman, or the women rather, said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. 
Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram followed Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. I heard the story of a little boy who went into a pet store with his family because they had promised the little boy a puppy. And the front window was full of puppies. And as he was talking to the puppies through the window and and they were falling all over one another to see the little boy, one puppy in particular seemed to be overcome with joy. And he was just wagging his tail feverishly. They went inside and the dad asked the boy, well, have you decided? Do you know which puppy you want? And the little boy said, sure, I know exactly. And dad said, which one? The little boy said, I'll take the one with the happy ending. (laughs) Well, you know, that's, that's how the book of Ruth closes, isn't it? Closes a happy ending. We could almost wish there was a postscript that said what? And they, and they lived happily ever after. The book that opened with three funerals closes with a wedding and a birth. You got to love that. It's neat, isn't it? It's a happy ending. Uh, It reminds me of what the psalmist said. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. That's Psalm 30 verse 5. Now in Ruth 4 we see how this whole story wraps up. And and what we're going to see is we're going to notice the faithfulness of God. And how God's faithfulness extended to Boaz and Ruth even beyond their lifetimes. What's that remind you of? Ephesians 3.20, right? What's Ephesians 3.20 say? What's God able to do? Far exceedingly abundantly above anything we could ask or think. Because again, we're going to see God's faithfulness to this family even beyond their lifetimes. And it's a reminder too that that when it comes to those who belong to God, God has the last say-so. Tragedy in life, hardships in life don't have the last say-so. Do God's people go through tough times and trouble? Sure. But do those things in life have the last say-so over God's children? No. God has the last say-so. It's a reminder of Romans 8, 28 that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him, those who are the called according to his purpose. 
That's not a promise for unbelievers, but it is a promise for believers that all things are not good, but God is able to bring good out of all things. And we see God doing that here in in this family. It's also a, a lesson in how God works in the lives of his children. As John Piper says, the journey to heaven is not a straight highway. It's more like a bumpy, curvy, hilly mountain road. And that's true, isn't it? The journey to heaven is not a straight highway. Meaning, you get saved and the rest of life is not going to be easy always. The road to heaven is not a straight highway, but it's more like a bumpy, curvy, hilly mountain road. I think we can relate to that. But the faithfulness of God prevails. Amen? First thing I want you to notice with me tonight, and if you're taking notes, write down the unrelenting, redeeming work of the bridegroom. The unrelenting, redeeming work of the bridegroom. We see that in verses 1 to 12. This chapter is all about redemption. If you want to write a key word over a chapter, you could write the word redemption. In fact, the words redeem or buy or purchase are used 15 times in these verses. Now, I want you to remember the customs that we have seen that that are behind everything going on in the book of Ruth. There was the custom of the leveret marriage. I want to read again to you what Deuteronomy 25 said about that. Deuteronomy 25, 5 through 10 says, When brothers live together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the deceased shall not be married outside the family to a strange man. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her to himself as wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. And it shall be that the firstborn whom she bears shall assume the name of his dead brother that his name may not be blotted out from Israel. But if the man does not desire to take his brother's wife, then his brother's wife shall go up to the gate to the elders and say, My husband's brother refuses to establish a name for his brother in Israel. He's not willing to perform the duty of a husband's brother to me. Then the elders of his city shall summon him and speak to him. And if he persists and says, I do not desire to take her, then his brother's wife shall come to him in the sight of the elders and pull his sandal off his foot and spit in his face. And she shall declare, thus it is done to the man who does not build up his brother's house. And in Israel, his name shall be called the house of him whose sandal is removed. So there was the leveret marriage custom. And then there was the custom of the goel. G-O-E-L, the kinsman redeemer, according to Leviticus 25 25 through 28, a goel could be involved in the redemption of property. In Leviticus 25, 47 to 55, we see that he could be involved in the redemption of a 
person. And then in Numbers 35, verses 16 to 21, and then verse 31, he could be involved in the redemption of blood. And so it's all these customs that are coming to play out in the book of Ruth. And it's these customs that Boaz is trying to make sure are put in place. Now I want you to remember also what we've said about Boaz. And about the whole story here. There's a story behind the story. There's Boaz and there's Ruth. But then also there's the Lord Jesus and there's us. Boaz is a picture of Christ. He's our kinsman redeemer. And Ruth is a picture of us. We were destitute. We were helpless. We were in need of redemption. I want you to also understand what qualities a kinsman redeemer had to possess. He had to be related by blood. And remember Naomi said of Boaz, he is one of our closest relatives. And the kinsman redeemer had to be able to pay the price. Boaz was able. He was a wealthy man. And the kinsman redeemer had to be willing. We saw at the end of chapter 3 that Boaz indicated that he was indeed willing to redeem Ruth. Well, as chapter 4 begins, we see Boaz wasting no time in getting about his work to redeem Ruth. Remember what Naomi had said to Ruth? When, when Ruth came back home after being at the threshing floor that night, and Naomi said to Ruth, who is it? Meaning, is it, is it you, Ruth? Or am I talking to Mrs. Boaz? And Ruth related everything that had happened, and Naomi told her, you just wait. Because the man is not going to rest until he settles this issue today. And so we get into chapter 4 and we see that Boaz is indeed acting very proactively in making sure Ruth is redeemed. So that's what's going on here. Uh, we saw in Ruth chapter 2 verse 12... How Boaz pronounced a blessing on Ruth. Remember that? When he first met her, he said, May the Lord reward your work and your wages be full from the Lord. Folks, I'm sure when Boaz prayed that prayer, he had, or when he pronounced that blessing on Ruth, he had no idea probably at the time that he was going to be the answer to his request. Sometimes in your prayers, when you pray for something, you may be the answer to that prayer. You may be praying for God to do something, and God's going to end up sending you to do it. You know, we know that God can use any old donkey to do his work too, can he? <clears throat> As he did in the book of Numbers. But, but often when it comes to the plans of the Lord, he uses those that are devoted. Boaz is a godly man. He's a devoted man. Certainly a testimony to us that we need to have the right kind of heart. I think of what the scripture said about Mary, the mother of Jesus. 
uh, what kind of woman she was, a godly young virgin, and God showed favor to her. She's described as the bondservant of the Lord. She had the right kind of heart. Boaz did too. Certainly a testimony to us to be godly, to be devoted to the Lord and surrender yourself to him and see what he's able to do. Again, he can do far exceedingly abundantly beyond anything you could ask or think. Well, in verse 1, what's he do? Goes down to the gate, the city gate. What's he doing? He's going to call court in session. He's approaching everything in the right manner. He's he's going to get everything out and open before the elders and follow the protocol that God had established in his word. And, And so again, while we see that Ruth has a noble heart and wants to do everything in the proper way, we see the same kind of devotion in Boaz. And so he goes down to the city gate, he's he's going to assemble everybody together, the witnesses, the elders, and he's going to call this closer uh, kinsman redeemer, and they're going to conduct business. That's what they did in these ancient towns. They had a city square, and they had a city gate. And people who lived in town, as they're going out of town to their, to their fields that morning, if you're at the city gate and they're going out, everybody's going out of town to their fields, the, you know, the, the, the walled cities and city gates for protection, if you're there at the city gate, you're, you're going to run into somebody who's leaving and going out to their fields. And then they would, they would a matter like this, they would assemble elders of the town together. It kind of reminds you a lot of the old towns in America, these little old rural towns that have a city square. And in the city square, what would you always find in the city square? A courthouse. Where do you think we get some of our customs from? City squares, courthouses. We, we see that in the Old Testament. Well, Boaz is making his way down there uh, where everything's going to be public. And so he knows it's not going to be long. He gets there early, no doubt. He knows it's not going to be long before he sees the one whom he needed to see. He's patient. When the closer kinsman, kinsman redeemer to Naomi and Ruth pass through the gates, Boaz asked him to turn aside. Now, interestingly enough, We are never told this man's name. And I'll have more to say about that later. Then Boaz goes to the next level. He he gets 10 men, 10 elders to to stay behind from their work and, and to assemble as a council. Again, he's doing everything right. What's this show you about Boaz? He's a man of integrity. He's a noble man. He's a man of character and a man of principle and a man of the law. Once he assembles everybody together, he states succinctly his business. He invites the nearest kinsman kinsman redeemer to purchase Naomi's land. Having come back from Moab, Naomi is destitute. She has nothing. And to survive, what she needs to do is sell that land that rightfully belonged to her husband, Elimelech. Now, once it's gone, it's going to be gone for a long time. Until the year of 
jubilee. And only then would it revert back to her family if it ended up being sold outside of the family. So what a kinsman redeemer was supposed to do is buy it to keep it in the family. Well, the nearer kinsman, kinsman redeemer is happy to buy the land. He's happy to do so. He says, I'll do it. He's going to buy the land. He's going to become Naomi's kinsman redeemer in that sense. Hey, it's just going to give him more land, right? And if your wealth back then was defined by the amount of land and livestock you had, he's becoming a wealthier person. Yeah, I'll do that. I'll be glad to do that. You get the impression in the story, and, it, and it's not hard to conceive of. It's, you get the impression in the story that he doesn't know anything about Ruth yet. You say, how could he not? Small village. Well, what time of the year has it been? It's been the harvest season. So what's everybody going to have been busy doing? Getting in their harvest. Is it so hard to believe that this nearest kinsman redeemer may not know the whole backstory yet? If he's been busy on his own land getting his own harvest in and threshing out the grain and taking care of that, it's not hard to believe that he doesn't know everything yet. Well, when he says, yeah, I'll buy it, don't you think Boaz's heart must have sunk a little bit? I know our, if we didn't know the end of the story, ours would, wouldn't it? it? Our heart would kind of sink for Boaz. We were sort of pulling for him. He's grown fond of Ruth. Ruth's grown fond of him. We're pulling for him. And we know he wants to be the kinsman redeemer. He's the most eligible bachelor in Bethlehem. He's apparently fallen in love with Ruth, but now she's slipping right through his fingers. But it appears like he has carefully thought this whole thing out. He, he wisely mentions the land first. Again, because after all, who wouldn't want more land? In verse 5, what happens? He lets the other shoe fall, right? He's a smart man. He chooses the right moment. He says, with the land, you also need to be the kinsman redeemer for Ruth. Naomi needs a kinsman redeemer to buy her land back, but Ruth, her daughter-in-law, is a young woman. So she needs a kinsman redeemer to become her husband. She's without her, she and her husband didn't have any children. You need to raise up children for the deceased. You've got to exercise the biblical principle of the leveret marriage. There might have been a little bit of strategy too in the way he mentions Ruth, the Moabitess. Because if you didn't know the whole story, you didn't know about Ruth, and somebody mentioned a Moabite to you, and you're a Jew, what are you, what are you going to naturally do? What do I want to get tangled up with a Moabite for? Yuck. <laughs> I don't want to have any dealings with a Moabite. So maybe, maybe there's a little bit of strategy in this too, saying Ruth the Moabitess. Because again, the, in general, the Moabites were despised by the Hebrews. 
Well, once Boaz lets this information be known, he, he rethinks his position real quick. It'd be one thing to get Naomi's land, but to get her daughter-in-law in the process and have the responsibility of raising up children for her and providing for their inheritance, and they're going to be the ones to end up with, with her land, not me. Not much in it for me is what he's thinking. Because I'm doing all this, raising up a name for the deceased. They're going to get the wealth. They're going to get the inheritance. My own children will end up suffering. He's thinking of himself. Rather than doing what the scripture would have had him do, he's, he's thinking of himself. Well, in a ceremony like our handshake today, if you were giving up your right to another, you'd take off your sandal and hand it to the other person. I'll say more about that in a moment. And you did this publicly in the presence of elders. This way, the other kinsman could never come back. The one who had relinquished the property could never come back and say, Boaz stole everything right out from under my nose. Boaz would have the shoe as testimony and the witness of the elders. So it would be a, a clear sign for ages to come. This man had surrendered his rights. Now, why is one reason for a shoe? Let's believe that, that the shoe, it, it had to do with the promise to walk over the land and possess it. The way they would walk over the land. Like when God called Abram to go to the land he was going to show him. And he walked through the land and God said, All this land that you've walked over and you've seen, I'm going to give it to you. So it was, it was a testimony that I'm walking over this land. This land is mine, but by giving up the shoe, I'm surrendering the right to walk over this land and claim it as my own. And it's also saying, I'm giving you my sandal and so you can stand in my shoe as my substitute. We'll say more about that in a moment. Well, in verses 9 and 10, Boaz does a very wise thing. He repeats before the witnesses what he's doing. Again, he wants there to be no mistake what he's committing himself to. He is redeeming Naomi's land. He's redeeming Ruth. And he is assuming the responsibility to raise up the name of the deceased. So he makes this threefold commitment very clear. With all these witnesses. So what happens? He becomes the kinsman redeemer. Now let's think about this a moment. Here is Boaz, legally worthy. He was the near relative related by blood. What does the scripture say of Jesus? Write down Hebrews 2.14. Hebrews 2.14 Listen carefully to this verse. Since then the children share in flesh and blood. He himself likewise also partook of the same. 
that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death that is the devil. We speak of the hypostatic union. What's the hypostatic union? Two natures in one essence. Jesus is the God-man. He's fully God, but he's fully man. And the book of Hebrews said he had to be made like us. Flesh and blood. Kinsman Redeemer had to be like you. One of you. When it comes to worth too, legal worth, I want you to think with me a moment about that scene in Revelation 5 where John is weeping because nobody's worthy to take the scroll from the one seated on the throne. And, And the angel says to John, stop weeping. Have you not seen the lion of the tribe of Judah? He's worthy. And he goes over and takes the scroll and all of heaven breaks out in worship. Of the Lord Jesus. He's worthy. He's the only one who's worthy. He's like us in the incarnation. He came to be one of us without sin. The kinsman redeemer had to be able to make the purchase. Hebrews 1-2 says of him, In these last days he's spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. Kinsman Redeemer would have to have the means to be the kinsman Redeemer. He had to be willing to pay the price. Was Christ willing? Yeah. Hebrews 12 says, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He paid with his own blood. 1 Peter 1 says, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver and gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Five times in Ruth chapter 4 verses 1 and 2 you see references to people sitting down. What's the Bible say Christ did after redeeming us from our sin? What did he do? He sat down. As far as his intercession, he's standing. But as far as his work of redemption, it's done, it's complete, it's finished. Hebrews 1 says he sat down. Well, secondly, I want you to see this super abounding grace of God. Beginning in verse 13. Going through the end of the chapter. The superabounding grace of God. As I said before, God may bless you beyond your expectations. Boaz takes Ruth to be his wife. Verse 13 says, uh, she became his wife. He went unto her and the Lord gave her a conception. And she bore a son. God blessed Boaz with a good wife of noble character. He blessed Ruth with a good husband of noble character. They're made for each other. This is a marriage made in heaven. And God blessed both of them with a son. Children are a blessing from the Lord. In the Old Testament, uh, 
it was often seen if you did not have children, it was the sign somehow or another God had withdrawn his favor from you. But to have a child, God had displayed his favor. God has shown his favor. And God blesses Naomi with a grandson in her old age. And so this whole family has gone from despair, they've gone from tears, to once again there is laughter and there is joy in the household. Don't you wish every story would end this way? It's amazing how God can turn things around. How God can turn things around. What Naomi have to say when she came back from Moab and the women of the village said, Is that Naomi? What'd she say? Don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. Bitter. Bitter. The hand of the Lord has been heavy against me. The one who called herself Mara, bitter. Now there's laughter again. There's joy. God brings hope to the hopeless. Not only that, but the baby is the granddad to King David. So here we have the family lineage that will one day run all the way down to who? Jesus, the Messiah. Now folks, what's that mean? Yeah, but, but think, about, think about Ruth. Exactly. Have you ever studied the genealogies of Jesus? Wouldn't you expect that it would just be the Jews of the highest caliber in the genealogy? What do you find in the genealogy? Gentiles. You find Ruth. Who else? Rahab the prostitute. Tamar. Some of the surprising names you find in the genealogy of Jesus is there a message in that yeah God's heart is for the nations yes he chose a people but a people who would be a witness to the Gentiles right so Gentiles would come in And even the genealogies of Jesus testify to that. Gentiles in the lineage of the Messiah. The blessing of the elders in verses 11 and 12 comes true. Boaz is famous. His name is remembered. Again, the name of the nearest kinsman redeemer, we don't even know who he is. Like Orpha. The other daughter-in-law of Naomi. Remember when Naomi said, go back. Go back to your people and to your gods. And Ruth said, I'm not going back. Orpha did. 
She walks off the pages of Scripture forever. This nearest kinsman and redeemer, he walks off the pages of Scripture forever. We don't even know who he is. But here's Boaz. Boaz having a son. Again, it's going to lead all the way down. All the way down to King David in two generations. And then all the way down to the Messiah. God does incredible things for Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz. The superabounding grace of God. We serve a God who does far more exceedingly anything we could ever imagine or think. Who could have even imagined this story? Who would have ever even imagined that this is what God was going to do? But he did. Again, think of, uh, think of Ruth, her past. She's a Moabite. She was alien to the people of God. She was a stranger to the covenants. She lived under a curse. God had put the Moabites under a curse. Presently, she was destitute. Her life was made up of tragedy, trial, and sorrow. But look at her now. Look at her now. God's turned things around. Just listen while I read something out of Ephesians chapter 2. Just, just listen to these verses carefully. I'll start in, in verses, verse 1. It says, You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. You come down to verse 11. He says, therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Her story is our story. Right? As Boaz redeemed Ruth, the Lord Jesus redeemed us. And in both stories, who's the central personality that makes all the difference? The kinsman redeemer. He's the one that makes the difference. Boaz, for her, Jesus. What's the result of all this? Here, remember, here was Ruth. She had no family. And Boaz, she's got a new family. In Christ, we're made members of the family of God. And in Boaz, Ruth became the joint heir of the field. She was the joint heir of everything Boaz possessed. What does the Bible say of us? We're joint heirs with who? With Christ. Not only did Ruth get a family and a fortune, she got a future. Again, she was in the genealogy of King David and ultimately of Jesus Christ. In Christ, we have a family. 
We've been adopted into the family of God. We have a fortune. We're joint heirs with Christ, the Bible says. We have a future. We have a home. Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. You see, folks, when that baby was born in the manger in Bethlehem, I want you to think of all the history that was in behind that that we're reading about here. So much more taking place than anybody would have thought. God was at work to give us a family and a future through our kinsman redeemer. Christ. Some things I want you to remember as we close out the book of Ruth. First of all, I I want you to write down, most importantly of all, the faithfulness of God. The faithfulness of God. You know, there's some great hymns that we sing today over that, right? For example, great is thy faithfulness. What's it say? Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hands have provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. God is faithful. God is at work to bring about our redemption. Just as Boaz was careful and deliberate, so God has been. Every detail of our salvation was carried out to perfection by Jesus Christ. God is faithful. Second lesson I want you to carry with you. It's something I've said repeatedly tonight. The superabounding grace of God. Who gives us more than we could ever even dream of. The superabounding grace of God. The faithfulness of God and the superabounding grace of God. Remember that from the book of Ruth. A woman who goes from destitute to having everything. A woman who is a foreigner and now she's included in God's plan. Wonderful story of grace. Again, I, you know, I... I point out what scholars through the ages have pointed out. The thought of the kinsman redeemer. This book is not in the Bible just to tell us of a love story. But it's to point out gospel truths. About a kinsman redeemer. Who gives us a future and a hope. Just like I said at the beginning tonight, tragedy doesn't, should, shouldn't define a believer. God is faithful and God shows his superabounding grace. In Christ, you have a home, a family, 
a future. Amen?